Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo is always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area today we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program a friend of the show Kristen van uden uh from sophia press to discuss Two books, two important topics and two books. I find them very interesting, don't you, Joe Resinello? Absolutely. Every time yep. we, we come lately, it's it's like purgatory, the devil, exorcisms. This is yeah. this is our theme. <laughs> yeah, talk about going into the breach. Um, and the two books we're gonna discuss, uh, be discussing with uh Christian are uh Christ and the Powers of Darkness. That's a reprint by Father uh, J. Godfrey Roper. And St. John and the Apocalypse, a reprint by Father C.C. Martindale. Uh, just for those of you who are new to the show, Kristen Van Newton serves as an author spokesperson at Sophia Institute Press, where we encourage all of our listeners to go to Sophia when you're looking for good books, good topics. Uh, yes, primarily all Catholic material, uh, but good hard-hitting stuff. Uh, Kristen received her M. In history from the College of William and Mary, and her BA in history and Russian from St. Anselm College. She studies the persecution of Catholics under communist regimes. She's been featured on a wide range of media platforms, including Coast to Coast AM, The Federalist, and the Catholic Faith Network. Kristen Fan, you welcome back. Good to be back. Thanks for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely. All right, Joe Rosanello. Uh, we'll start with a little prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we find to you a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you, we found with you, we stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Kristen, let me ask you a question: Is is it Father J. Godfrey? Is it French or is it Robert? Sounds like well, German. I, I have not actually heard this pronounced. I've only seen it written, so it is French ultimately. So that would be Robert. But then he was he he was an Englishman, so they have the tendency to butcher any foreign name. Right? Yes, yes. So do people yeah, yeah, from yeah, New yeah, Jersey. Uh, <laughs> That's great. For those of so you, I've been saying Ropair, but okay, knows? you know what? For 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 the sake of the interview, it's Ropair, R A U P E R T. Um, because I know it. You see, uh, our wives are sisters, as you know, right? And they mm -hmm. both speak French. So if I my oh. wife saw me try to pronounce that, and I said Rolfert, she'd hit me in the head with a rolling yeah, pin. We better she said, no, it's Ropair pronunciation then. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Father, uh, Father Ropair was one of the most respected English authors of the early 20th century, a prolific writer. He wrote several books exposing the danger of occult practices. I swear, Kristen, nowadays, I don't think this gets enough attention. Uh, people think it's superstition. It is not. We'll try to unpack that and break that down a little bit today. Uh, so with that, Joe Resinello, where do you want to start? 
Well, I guess a good place to start is uh, with some of the strategies of the devil noted in the book and how we could safeguard ourselves and our family from it. I don't think enough people even believe in the devil, never mind think that he has strategies and that, you know, we we're susceptible to the devil, even like the holiest person um, is susceptible to the devil. So I think that's a good place to start, Kristen. Sure. So one of the things that Father Robert talks about in the book is, I mean, he's writing at a time also when the spiritualists are also known as the spiritist movement was really at its zenith. And this was a movement that was a cultist. It was kind of the birth of the Ouija board when seances were conducted as parlor games almost. So high society in London, where he was writing, was very much involved with dabbling in the occult as an entertainment. So two of the main strategies of the devil that he attacks in this book are the devil's use of our curiosity, our natural curiosity, our desire for knowledge, and also his ability to make us think that the supernatural is not either not real or not a big deal. So this sort of arrogance, uh, this tendency to think that we are more powerful to resist the devil than we are and think that, oh, sure, you can go to a seance, but as long as you're withholding your intention or you're not believing that anything bad can happen, then you'll be fine. And he, he really boils it down to a pride on the part of the participants. And in this movement, there were a lot of sort of peripheral participants who didn't necessarily believe in the supernatural, but they just thought that this was some sort of fun or interesting or quirky thing to do, and how that pride was blinding them to the true spiritual dangers of what they were involved with. So he gives several examples of Um, He gives an example of a husband and wife team who were both studying to be mediums in this book, and they thought that they were, you know, educated and they weren't superstitious, they weren't conspiracy theorists or anything like that, so that they would be fine. And they were just using this as a, an anthropological study or some sort of tool to add to their, to their toolbox and they uh and the wife ended up getting possessed by by dabbling in this and so he uh first and foremost wants to drive home how serious this topic is and how none of us are immune from this diabolical influence and if you yourself are opening yourself up by basically employing your will and requesting this sort of demonic activity, which is what the acts of mediums and seances and Ouija boards do, then you can only expect to get the full brunt of it. We can't control how much, once you open the door to a demon, you can't control how much they come in or do not come in. And it's that pride that he encourages us to really fight against and also that curiosity. Krista Van Uden is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. So you mentioned like some of our natural temperament and our dispositions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and it's not that those things are bad. Okay. Like the, the thirst for knowledge. Okay. But I'm curious, like expand on a little bit more, Kristen, like you mentioned pride. Okay. Cause it seems to me, if you want to know everything, especially in this regard, okay. I could see the pride cause humility is saying, I don't know. And I don't care. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause I trust God, let's say, but you go to, and we, let's say, let's say uh, people go to seances. They want to talk to their loved ones. Uh, no, 
Mm-hmm. You might you may you might want to go consult the catechism on that or or, or Father Ropaire's book, uh, because this is where our natural temperament can really, really undo us. And all of us have heard, and I don't care what anybody says, Kristen, all of us has heard have heard some of the let's just call them unusual experiences of people who have been involved with these things, seances, tarot cards, Ouija boards, things like that. And some really bad stuff, um, and inexplicable, by the way, by the scientists and the atheists, totally inexplicable, okay? I mean, really, the reason why I'm asking this is because I really want to try to emphasize to our audience, these things are not toys. They're not to be messed with. I think that's where Father Repair is going. What say you? That's exactly right. And this really goes back to the Garden of Eden itself, because Adam and Eve's sin was an act of pride, obviously, but also it was this act of curiosity. They wanted to know something that the devil told them God was keeping from them. So they had this unnatural curiosity to do away with capital R revelation and to find knowledge that was above and beyond what God had deemed fit to reveal to them. So they had to make this deal with the devil, obviously, to make this happen. It was a, a an act against what God saw fit for us to know. And this is the origin, too, of the Gnostic heresy, really, which has characterized the any, any involvement in the occult up to the present day, which is this idea that capital R revelation is not enough and that Jesus didn't tell us everything we need to know to be saved. So we have to resort to these other extraordinary means to get that secret knowledge, that occult, which means secret. That's what the word means. Um, or Gnostic knowledge that is that supersedes what the church teaches. As you said, no, the antidote to this is the humility to understand that everything that God wants us to know has been revealed through his church, and that if we resort to these other means to try to gain knowledge that is superseding this, then that can only be dangerous. And I like the way that Father Ropaire organizes the book because he gives, he starts with the New Testament and talks about just many um, examples of demonic activity or exorcisms, even in the life of our Lord himself, how he performs exorcisms. But then he goes on to discuss early pagan religions. And it's been pretty common knowledge for a while that the pagan gods are demons. So <laughs> they uh, they weren't just making this stuff up when the pagans, especially the, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Egyptians, talk about having visions and having... Um, making sacrifices and then seeing an actual effect in the temporal realm, they were actually experiencing this, but it was not the power of God. It was the power of the devil. So when we think about something I learned the other day was that the 10 plagues of Egypt, when Moses um, was able to show the power of God over this earth, the each of them coincided with a, f- a pagan god that the Egyptians were worshiping. So the time of darkness, for example, was the foil to Ra, who was the sun god. So God was showing his power over this false power that the Egyptians had been worshiping, um, and and so on and so forth. Each each of the ten has their um, actual mirror in the pagan world. So <clears throat> the the other example that he gives is this um, tendency in Roman and Greek paganism to resort to oracles for information. So the entire pagan religions were, of course, founded on receiving the secret occult knowledge and making deals with these gods in order to gain temporal gain here on Earth. And the oracle of Apollo at Daphne, which is near Antioch, he discusses on page 33, 
actually ceased to answer its priests and priestesses after the relics of the of a martyr saint babylas had been transferred there so the presence of these holy relics drove the demons away from that oracle and then julian the apostate removed these relics and immediately the oracle started to speak again to its practitioners here on earth so very clearly a demon and demons do have this obviously supernatural knowledge they are fallen angels so they have these incredibly powerful intellects and complete knowledge of of things that are beyond the human mind so sometimes this explains why sometimes people do receive quote unquote true predictions from tarot cards or actual knowledge that they couldn't have gained through ordinary means because demons do have this knowledge but it is completely illicit to request that knowledge from them and it comes with so many strings attached you know it's funny christian van Uden, and i'm going to hand it over to joe rasanello is that is that demons angels fallen angels that goes back that's not new modern christianity that is that that's old testament biblical fact it was, uh, uh, you know, when you look at, let's say, for argument's sake, uh, angels like St. Michael, okay, Enoch, uh, I think it's Jude mentions uh, mentions Enoch in the Old Testament, and he mentions uh, St. Michael disputing with Satan over the body of Moses and things like that. Demons and, and angels and fallen angels, uh, demonic influences, that goes way back. That's not that's not something new in, in let's say, let's call it Judeo-Christianity, okay? It's not some, some new Protestant development. The church teaches very clearly there is a different order of beings, okay? There's the, the, the purely spiritual, and that is that is the angels. And that, let's face it, that's what a demon is, correct? A, a, a fallen angel, am I right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think it's important for people to know, like you said, they're real. And I, I think that's, well, that's always the old saying. That's their greatest trick is to, is to convince us that they're not. Um, and then they have their way with us because, well, we're just weak. Um, let me hand it over to Joe Resinello. Kristen, um, in the book, uh, Father discusses the work of evil spirits basically operating in a subtle manner. I mean, I think a lot of people think, even if they do believe in a hell and, and, and the devil, they think he's going to be walking around with like horns and a tail and a pitchfork. Um, it's not the way uh, it works. A good book... Um, We've referenced this on other shows and, and in other conversations is uh, Father Elijah about the apocalypse. Um, it talks about, you know, the devil and the Antichrist. Um, and he's not wearing like horns and doesn't have a tail. He's wearing a Normani suit. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's just it's just the way that he operates. Talk about that, because I think that's important to catch the subtleties of how evil manifests itself in all our lives and how to avoid it. Yes, and I think the case studies that Father Repair uh, features in this book from people he knew from his own life really illustrate this. And one of the ways in which the devil and these, these particular demons who were manifesting through these occult practices got latched onto these people was through a gradual development. So it never starts with full-on possession. That would be too obvious. It starts with keeping the door cracked open and then person got special powers and they could communicate with the dead. And then eventually one day they wake up and they're having suicidal thoughts and then they're having hallucinations. And by the end of the process, it becomes obvious that it's demonic influence, but it's that use of time and of stretching this influence out over time. That is one of the most subtle ways to hide what is going on. Um, someone 
also that they're so wrapped up, especially in these cases, they're wrapped up in believing that they're doing these things of their own accord too. They flatter themselves to believe that they have some sort of special relationship with the dead or relationship to the afterlife. And so they, they fail to see that it's another power acting upon them because they're so blinded by their own spiritual pride, thinking that they are just some sort of mystic. So that's another way that the devil plays upon pride to kind of hide where he is and what he's doing. One of the phenomena that is heavily discussed in the book is this one of automatic writing, which is interesting because this is actually how J.K. Rowling describes how she wrote Harry Potter, which is via a complete just fugue state where the person doesn't know what they're writing. They feel their hand moving over the page. And by the time they wake up and snap out of that, they have a full manuscript of whatever the demon saw fit to, to give them to bring out into the world to corrupt souls. And so during this time in 1914, when the book was published, this phenomenon was so popular among these uh, chic spiritists that a device had been invented that was called the planchette that kind of functions like a Ouija board because your hand is moved by the demon. And um, it's a little bit more advanced because instead of just letters on a board, it is a pen and sort of a, a holder for your hand. And then underneath the pen, you put paper. And so uh, one of his case studies was a woman who had to almost she was addicted to this to this process of automatic writing if she didn't go into this state and do that then she she just couldn't function it was too painful for her so they they always have uh some sort of good in mind they want to have ob obtained this knowledge as we've already discussed or they want to become a writer they want to have some sort of product at the end of it uh, this is very applicable also when we talk about more contemporary examples of celebrities who have admitted to having made deals with the devil. So John Lennon, for example, admitted this on camera several times and that he made a, I think it was 30 years or something was the deal that he got, immediately got famous, they got really huge. And then it was that number of years to the date when he was shot. And so it expired, it was over. So the the subtle ways that the devil gets you to give up your will and to make compromises at the beginning are um, predictors of being unable to get out of that compromise later on. If you wake up, it's almost too late. And this is where uh, the case studies are interesting, but I also think the end of the book really drives this home because in the in the section where Father gives us some soul safeguards, some safeguards against these demonic forces, these are things that are kind of not unusual, but not what you would expect. So you would expect, of course, use of the sacramentals, recourse to the sacraments, avoiding um, these near occasions of, of this type of activity. But he also suggests certain mindsets, and these really make sense when you think about them. The first one is no compromise. So he's talking about compromise in doctrine and compromise in will. So the person who made a compromise towards the beginning because they wanted to either contact a loved one or gain some special power, it was at that moment that they should have stopped. It was not later down the line when things have spiraled out of control. So uh, I'll read a little paragraph from this chapter that I think really illustrates this. 
he says that thus a hostile virus works in the mind and imperceptibly pervades the mind's energy and operation. In the truly Catholic mind, it does not perhaps destroy faith, but it paralyzes the active operations of faith. It tends to keep the mind in suspense, hovering between affirmation and negation, not doubting any article of faith, but not quite fully embracing it and believing it either. The mind, in an attempt to escape this difficulty, vaguely seeks refuge in some kind of compromise. And he says the process is the same in the spiritual life. Theoretically, we all know what our duties as Christians are. We know that if we do not energize ourselves, loyally corresponding with grace and liberally using the sacraments, we cannot save our souls. And we hold this firmly, but then in our lives, we act differently. So he talks about this this idea that we can compromise with the world and that we can sacrifice a little bit of doctrine here and a little bit there as something that actually really undermines our faith and our ability to resist demonic influence. So it's more dangerous than just a mere theoretical proposition. Um, and in that vein, he says no compromise in the type of literature that you consume either. So his next section is called guard your senses. And then finally, learn to be alone, because we know that bad companions and bad literature from just a basic catechism are two of the, the doorways in which the devil can get in and just keep someone completely stuck in sin. And so um, he, I, I studied this a little, I just wrote uh, an article about the index of forbidden books, which the church used up until the 1960s that took a very hard line on forbidding certain literature that introduces these virus ideas, as he puts them, into the mind, because once it's in there, the demons can play upon that. Once an image is in your mind, in your memories, the demons can resurface it and resurface it at very strategic times in order to throw the person off. So it's that first line of defense where you don't want to be fighting when you're already neck deep in demonic activity. You want to guard it from the beginning so that you don't even fall in. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Kristen Van Uden is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. So the first book we're discussing is Father J. Godfrey Repairs. Uh, excuse me. Yes, uh, Father J. Godfrey Repairs book, Christ and the Powers of Darkness. I can tell you from personal experience, um, without getting into too much you know, detail, is thoughts, images, uh, things that I've watched uh, on TV, listened to certain movies, things like that. When I'm in prayer and I'm close to the sacraments, those things are minimal. I'm not going to say they're not there, but they don't take any hold. And when I'm lax, when I'm spiritually lazy, is when the devil, literally, it's a playground for him. OK, because he reminds you of those thoughts, that image in that movie and that that are really, you know, things that we should, like you said, safeguard ourselves against. And that's my struggle at 55 years old, because I wasn't always close to the sacraments and that's fine. Um, but we have to try to emphasize to people, don't even go there. Don't be Pandora. Don't be Eve. Don't try to open that box. Don't re don't reach for that apple. Uh, you know, the church tells you these things are not good. Um, I would ask you this, Kristen Van Newton, before we go to the break on this. Uh, you mentioned, like, let's say, thirst for knowledge, things like that. We had Jesse Romero a while ago um, mm -hmm. on the show. Uh, he broke it down into a little bit more. Like, I asked him, I said, well, what does the devil promise you? I mean, like, like, like uh, you know, you mentioned knowledge. And he was just nitty gritty about it. He, he goes, he goes, sex, money and power. Mm -hmm. So sex and money are obviously, uh, you know, um, you, you, we know where, where he's going with that. But power, I said, well, what do you mean by power? He says power over other individuals. Mm -hmm. In other words, like, like uh, powers in a, in a, like, a, a, like, like a nefarious kind of power. Um, so I think it's even more base 
I think that's why most people are susceptible to it, particularly on the sex and money part. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and we see that in our culture when you, when you think about killing babies is completely legal, uh, in all 50 States right now, regardless of Roe versus Wade. All right. We know what that's all about. Um, how about that, that, that the devil doesn't really have to work too hard, I guess is my overall point, Kristen. I love your comments. Right. right. That's a great point is that sometimes the door is easy to open with, with people where everybody wants these temporal goods and everyone wants to obtain them illicitly. So they have, um, out of vanity, these desires for these base earthly things, as you've discussed, and it's very seductive that, uh, you know, that's constantly the like faust and you just think back to literature of everyone wants fame and power and and all of these things and that uh the devil the devil will take the easy way out <laughs> if possible he won't and he tailors his his temptations to your particular desire so if you can if you can get you on something at that low level he won't even bother trying to convince you that you need secret knowledge as was the case with his um patients or um, spiritual directees. So yeah, for many people, it's it's resisting those temptations whenever they may crop up. And, and really, it's just understanding what is lawful for us to have and following the commandments and understanding that temporal goods are can be enjoyed in the right and proper circumstances. But ultimately, it's spiritual goods that matter the most. And if you are meant to put your soul in danger to gain a temporal good, then that's obviously wrong. And mm -hmm. it's whenever you start to make compromises to to prioritize the temporal over the eternal that you've already opened yourself up. Absolutely. Real quick, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe. We have time for one more question on this book before the break. But remember, before people out there maybe start thinking that we're picking on John Lennon or J.K. Rowling, John Lennon, as Kristen pointed out, admitted such Okay, um, in numerous interviews. And J.K. Rowling has a wonderful tattoo of Baphomet on her arm. So we're not casting this on them. We're just pointing out what they have said and what they have done. Joe Resinello. I just wanted to point out uh, something because it's funny as you guys were talking about power, because um, that is a demonic desire. I, and I think a lot of people, that's one of the subtle ways that the devil operates. You notice most people who get powerful, many times it destroys them. I don't know if we're made for that as humans. It's bigger than us. You know, you know, as the old saying goes, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. It's just it's a maxim. People just don't do well. It, like, you know, to follow Christ is to be meek, to be a servant leader. If God gives you authority like a husband, you have authority, but it's a servant authority. It's not to be wielded like like and that's how the world views power, powerful men and women. Um, it's demonic. Because that's not a Christian view of the world. Christ is is the power. We are servants of God. The devil, it doesn't operate like that. And I think people bite at it. Like they look at power. I want power. I want fame. And it destroys them. I mean, it's yeah. obvious to see it. It destroys yeah. them. We've seen that. Christian, before the break, uh, quick comment on that, if you don't mind. It's just a continual mirror of the devil's initial fall, that he wanted to be God, and we saw that he could not be God. He's not happy in hell and his own little kingdom, even though he has this power that he wanted. It's it's impossible. It completely subverts the supernatural order to try to grab power for yourself without recognizing that any power in this life that's given to you is through God and the, the glory has to be given back to him. When you try to do it without God, when you remove God from the equation, 
in, then it ultimately turns into what the devil has already fallen to, which is this false power that is totally prideful and wrapped up in oneself and ultimately does not does not actually have power. He can only do what God permits him to do. So you have to recognize reality that God, Jesus is King. And then another, the second point I would make is just to look at Jesus, who was God, who himself exhibited this extreme humility his entire life, even unto the cross and how he as literal God is doing that. Why do we think that we should act any better? And we of course have to mimic him in that. Yeah, absolutely. Even uh, recently, or relatively recently, uh, Jordan Peterson has a very wide following. Uh, One of the things, one of the more popular clips on YouTube is him talking about this dream he had where he's in this graveyard and a graveyard of kings, and they come out from the dead and they have their battle array on and their swords and everything, but they all bend their knee to Jesus. Like even a guy like Jordan Peterson, uh, I mean, he's not Catholic yet, we pray for him, but he's a smart guy. Um, and he says, you know, he's, he acknowledges and, you know, I'm glad he's doing it because he's more popular than we are. Let's face it right now. But to him to at least get that message out there. No, 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 no. These men, even though they had tremendous power, they bend their knee to Jesus Christ. OK, um, and that's what we have to emphasize. Chris, uh, emphasize, Kristen, let's go to a break now. So that book is um, is Christ and the Powers of Darkness. That's a reprint out of Sophia Press by Father J. Godfrey Rupair. All right. And we're being joined by Kristen Van Uden here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Stick around uh, on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We have another great segment with Kristen. And we are going to be discussing Father C.C. Martindale's book, St. John and the Apocalypse. So that should be a great conversation. Don't go anywhere. Catholic Radio Works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We're way in the breach with a good friend of the show, Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Press. We got done in the first segment discussing Christ and the Powers of Darkness, and that is out from Sophia Press. And another book we're going to be discussing now is out from Sophia Press. Also, uh, this is St. John and the Apocalypse, a reprint uh, by Father C.C. Martindale. Joe Racinello. Kristen, I guess we'll define our terms. Like, what is the apocalypse as the world, as the Catholic world sees it? Um, I think it's thrown around a lot, that term. You know, I think it's a good starting point. Mm -hmm. So the apocalypse refers to the events at the end of the world, after which Christ's second coming will happen and the final judgment. And then this world will pass away. Purgatory will be abolished. And the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell will come to the forefront. Um, In this context, particularly, it refers to a specific book. So Father Martindale wrote this very detailed analysis of what's known as the book of the apocalypse, which is the same as the book of Revelation. So the final book of the Bible that was written by St. John the Evangelist, uh, the only apostle to not die a martyr. And he was given this prophecy to guide the church towards these end days, not to uh, becomes something that we have to war game or obsess over, but enough knowledge to know what the end days of the church will look like, how to prepare for that persecution, who the person of the Antichrist will be, for example, and um, 
really that this final chapter in this world's existence that is coming full circle from the moment of creation it it um it's all of course in line with teaching of um <clears throat> obviously the teaching of the catholic church and then has bears similarities to what has been revealed sometimes privately too so private revelation as we know as we've discussed before always has to support and be in line with public revelation and with the official teaching of the church and certain apparitions of our lady for example refer to the apocalypse refer to the end of the world our lady of la salette who appeared to two children in mid 19th century france for example says that rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the antichrist in the end days and then of course we're very familiar with the apparition of our lady at fatima and her warnings for the end of the world so as we inch closer and closer to that eventuality of course we're only time only moves in one direction so it is ahead of us um, we do have these roadmaps provided from the earliest days of the church and then supplemented throughout her history to help us navigate that so the author of the book is Father C.C. Martindale. So, uh, Christian, he was a prolific author, scholar, Oxford philosopher, theologian. He was a convert to Catholicism. Um, he was one of the most, uh, one of the foremost Jesuit intellectuals of the early 20th century. So he wrote articles, religious pamphlets, uh, the lives of various saints, and many other works. Notably, a biography of Father Robert Hugh Benson. Joe, you mentioned him earlier, correct? Uh, Father Benson. Uh, it was well, probably in another conversation. Well, no, he wrote the book. Uh, which book was he famous for, Kristen? Yes, yeah, so it's very interesting that he, uh, Father Martindale has this uh, devotion or study of Father Benson because Father Robert Hugh Benson wrote Lord of the World, which okay. is a novel about the Antichrist, about the end of the world, and so clearly influenced his writing on, on the matter of the apocalypse. Joe, you, you've read that before, right? No, actually, I, the book I referenced in this conversation was by Michael O'Brien. Oh, right, but... Oh, yeah, I that's think on my I, list. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you this, um, because, you know, it, we, we hear so much. I mean, remember, the world was supposed to end, I don't know, 150 years ago, uh, mm -hmm. according to some of our evangelical brothers and sisters, maybe then 100 years ago, then, oh, oh, oh it's 75 years. Uh, you know, in, in 1999, it's all coming to an end. I mean, we've heard it over and over again. I think... And I'd love your comments on this. That's why I'm bringing it up. Um, we know there's going to be an end of the world. Might happen today. Might happen 10,000 years from now. We when don't know. When the Jets win the Super Bowl. Joe. When the Jets win the Super Bowl. That's when the, <laughs> that's when the, Joe, that might be this year. So we better be careful. No, no, I'm only kidding. Um, but uh, do you think, Kristen, that we should have a, a working knowledge um, and acknowledgement that there will be and end times, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. We're all going to be judged. Everything will lead, be laid bare, as it mm -hmm. says in Scripture, okay? You're going to see God's plan, which is going to be glorious, okay? But we're, we're all going to see that whether we're here for the end of the world or whether we're already dead and and and, and we'll be there. Do you? I guess this is my way, my long – you know me. I'm long-winded. I'm Italian. I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> um, do we place or we do, do we allow to be placed an overemphasis on the apocalypse i think we should keep it in perspective it's going to happen jesus is coming back that's that's the rock rib doctrine of the catholic church and all christianity i believe okay jesus is coming back all right don't sweat it so much because guess what the end of the world is going to come for every one of us whether it's at that time or before then so do you think sometimes we have a tendency particularly in america with american christianity to overemphasize the end times Yes, I think there are two temptations. One is to underemphasize the end times, and one is to overemphasize, as you say. And 
The first temptation, I think, comes from this overall fear of death and fear of acknowledgement of death itself. You, by by hearing people discuss um, just even their, their own health, you would just in the secular world, you would think that they thought immortality was possible, and it's it's just not. They, um, so this unwillingness to acknowledge that their life personally will come to an end kind of translates into the unwillingness to acknowledge the world will come to an end and how that is, of course, just the, the logical conclusion of what will happen. Um, and this this is an avoidant tactic. It's something that I think has been a theme on this program altogether when we've discussed purgatory, that the, the common secular notion of a funeral is more of a celebration of life rather than thinking of the next world and what help the soul potentially needs if they're struggling in purgatory. And that uh, that same attitude extends towards oh, the end of the world. Like it's, it's so far off. We don't have to worry about it. And then because of that, they refuse to uh, amend their lives. And so that is the healthy knowledge of death is also what we have with this healthy knowledge of the understanding of the end of the world is that we need to use that to make sure we are living as if that were to come tomorrow, because this is it's meant to inspire us to get our lives in order and to focus on the next world uh this is why the memento mori of course we're we're recording right after all souls day where we understand that you know you walk through a graveyard that is meant to remind you that today me tomorrow you as many of those old old gravestones around here say so that the avoidant um approach to the apocalypse, I think, is a reflection of the avoidant approach to death. And then on the other side of the spectrum, the overemphasis, I think this is also a coping mechanism for fear of death, because we think that if we figure out exactly how it's going to happen, you can either stop it from happening, or you'll be as prepared as you can be. And ultimately, as you've pointed out, even when it does happen, you just have to make sure that your soul is ready to meet God and that you are ready for your personal judgment. So it is good, and God would not have given us these prophecies, especially in the book of the apocalypse itself, if he did not want us to have a certain knowledge of when these events will come to pass. But an obsession with them is also not healthy and not what he intended, because it also, in a different way, takes away from the central core important message of preparing your soul for your personal judgment. I want to hand it over. <clears throat> excuse me. I want to hand it over to Joe, Kristen. But what I will say is this: this is why we, as Catholics, um, we need to be sober about these things. We need to. You talked about knowledge earlier. We need to dig deep into Scripture. Jesus said, it, "You know, it, like a thief in the night." Okay, that's that's how it's coming. Which means you don't know when the thief is coming. Thief could break into your house tomorrow or ten years from now. Okay, the thief's coming. All right. So be prepared. I mean, he warns us over and over again. And I'm I'm sorry to sound ju so judgmental because I guess I used to think this way too. So I'm I, I'd be judgmental of myself. Is that oh I got time, oh, I got time, oh, I got time. You don't know. You may have time. You might not have time. Stop thinking you know and do like Our Lady says. Do what He tells you. Okay, uh, because that's the only way to safeguard. Because guess what? If you die with seven billion other people on this planet in one shot, or you die right now. Your judgment's your own. You're getting it individually, not with seven other, not with seven billion people around asking Jesus, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to forgive you. It's you and him, okay? Right. It's you and him. Whether whether you die at the end of the world or you die tomorrow, and people need to get that through your head. We all 
I say this as all sinners. We all need to clean up our own house and constantly move forward to Christ. Okay. Um, and then we wouldn't have to worry about these conversations too much. However, <laughs> Christopher and Newton's here, and we're having this conversation. All right. And uh, and it's a good one. Um, this is Father C.C. Martindale's book, Out from Sophia Press, St. John and the Apocalypse. That's a reprint. Joe Resinello. You talked a little bit about, you know, prophets. You mentioned Fatima. Um you know, Sister Lucia said that the final battle will be against the family. We're seeing that, you know, the family has broken down. Um, Christ says this in Scripture. He says, you, you know, you could you can I'm paraphrasing because I'm from New Jersey. Uh, you know, he says, you know, you, you could tell the weather, the signs of the times when it's going to rain, when it's going to be hot. But you don't see what's, you know, happening now. Um, you can see what's happening now, that particular prophecy. Talk about, uh, like, we, are you familiar with Sister Sasagawa in, in, in Japan, what she said? No. She, she's a nun. She talked about conflict within the church, that okay. you'll see cardinal against cardinal. We're seeing that now. Mm -hmm. um, times are fairly dark. I mean, they've always been bad. I mean, there's always been trouble. But if you really look at things now, uh, you know, you got to ponder it and, and and take it serious. And to Joe's point, I mean, how do we prepare? Go to confession. That's how you keep your spiritual bags packed. You're living a sacramental life. I mean, no one's perfect. But like if God is to take me, I went to confession last week. You know what I mean? Like, like, I, like, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean I'm perfect or from it. Uh, you know, I'll definitely spend some time in purgatory. Um, that's why my wife will have to pray pray me out. <laughs> that, that, that God. Joe, if I'm still around, I'll be praying you out too. Thank buddy. you. I appreciate it. <laughs> but I mean, like in all honesty, that's that's what but a lot of bad stuff. And there are some serious messages and people I think I want to talk about that because I think people poo poo them. You know, mm -hmm. you have people who are very holy and recognized by the church, particularly Fatima. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the children saw hell. You know, we, we don't take that serious. We should take it serious. And that was only a hundred years ago, give or take. And in God's time, that's like a millisecond. Um, also, you know, the divine mercy uh, uh, with devotion. That could be a sign that God's basically, particularly, you know, uh, what's it called? What's the um, Good Friday? Uh, you could get indulgence. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, this is God reaching out to us, like giving us a mercy. Who knows? You know what I mean? I think, talk about that, because I don't think we take it serious, Catholics or otherwise. And we I should. agree. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Kristen. Yeah, the to bring it back to Fatima, something that really struck me was when St. Jacinta said she, after the vision, not only of hell, but also of what was to come in the 20th century, the absolute bloodbath, she decried that there would be so many people who died and that almost all of them would go to hell. She said almost all. <laughs> and they had just had this vision where they saw souls falling like snowflakes into hell. So just this absolutely horrifying and sobering image of, of how bad it really is out there um and the the how quickly these these forces for evil have accelerated um I believe it was our lady of la salette where the the visionaries were given a vision that the devil would be unchained during this final period on earth so until this point he's been chained in the lowest portions of hell and that god would allow him to be unchained to be able to freely roam about the earth um to be able to wreak havoc in this time before it all ends and so i think there definitely is an argument to be made that 
uh, we're living it, at least in that period where he is unchained. Um, <clears throat> another point you, you say, of course, go to confession. That's how we prepare. Stay close to the sacraments. Obviously, very important. First thing we should do. I would say the second thing that we need to make sure we are very vigilant about doing is to guard the faith, to guard all of the doctrines, whole and inviolate, because we're told through many prophecies that the attack on the church in the end days will also come from within. It will be a subversion. It won't just be an outright oppression, but it will be an infiltration, really, of the structure of the church and trying to get the church to self-implode and self-destruct and to change her doctrines, to change her moral laws and all of this, and to deceive so many Catholics. Um, we're told that even some of the elect will be deceived by the Antichrist. So hearkening back to some of our previous discussions about uh, Father Michelli's book on the Antichrist, for example, and this means that this will be a very seductive, wily campaign of the devil where you're given what uh, Fulton Sheen referred to as the ape of the church. So this false church that arises in the end days that is really run by the Antichrist that seems to be Catholic, seems to be good, does a lot of temporal good works, philanthropy, things like that, but lacks the integral faith. And so this is uh, another parallel, actually, to Father Repair's message of no compromise, because we are so tempted when we hear prelates speaking heresy or saying, uh, you know, approving of unholy unions, for example, to just despair or to doubt Catholic doctrine. But I would encourage everyone to just read old, simple catechisms, because Catholic doctrine cannot change. It cannot evolve into its opposite. <laughs> That's a lie. And anyone telling you that is lying. And so to really understand the faith, even in these um, these, these difficult doctrines, that so, such as the doctrine on hell, for example, that has been really downplayed in recent years, is important because the you have to, the the church will exist until the end of time and it will not exist in a watered down format we have to make sure that we are willing to to sacrifice and to, even to the point of martyrdom over any of the church's doctrines because once you give on one they all go we always see this with protestant schismatics and and um even the Eastern Orthodox, that once you break away, Henry VIII broke away just because he wanted to get married again, just on that one little moral issue. But then we see that they completely fall apart and that there's so many differences in doctrine now that the Anglican Church has adopted. So it's all it takes is that one crack to give on one small matter of doctrine, and you can you can lose the entire faith from that. So I think that that is one message that to 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 know the faith. Um, obviously to practice the faith, but you really have to know something to love it fully. I want Absolutely. to explore that a little bit because Sister Sosagawa talks about that. That's one okay. of my, I invite both of you to read. I think believe she was a nun in the early 70s. Um, anyway, I think Jesse, to, to use Jesse again, he's a friend of the show. I think as a Catholic, and he uses this analogy to keep your hands at 10, you know, and two, basically, um, and stay in the middle lane, meaning this is what the church teaches. This is what I believe. I think sometimes you talk about the ape of the church. It can go in both directions because I see it when I look at social media. People sometimes, it's what the church teaches, acknowledging like statements from the church, the magisterium, obviously like counterintuitive, you know, statements like, you know, homosexuals can marry that that's that's goes against the scripture but what i am saying is 
it, there's two ways to leave the church through the left door and the right door. And I think it's important to keep that in mind because I see sometimes statements in social media that I'm just like, the church doesn't teach that. And there are popes, not just this pope, other popes that have said things very contrary to what you're saying. You think it's Catholic, but is it? Is all I'm saying. And I think people have to be very smart about how they interpret things because um, there's a lot of voices out there. And I sometimes read things and I'm kind of just like, well, that goes against what John Paul II said. And he's a saint and you're not. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the church says he's a saint because the church can do that. Well, uh, Joe, I want to I want to piggyback on that. And then I, I, I want to ask Kristen a question or or, or look for a comment. Um, obviously, you know, we talk about, you know, and again, it's not lip service. We all acknowledge and all Catholics should acknowledge. we're all sinners. OK, we're all in need of redemption. All right. We're all in need of a savior. Um so one of the reasons why we avail ourselves of the grace of the sacraments is for, obviously for the forgiveness of our sins and that we have the grace to overcome them, all right? That's the struggle between, between us and the world, the flesh, and the devil. We get it, okay? But I think, and I've always thought, and I want your comments on this, Christian, one of the things we could do to safeguard ourselves against some of the some some of the deceit out there, some of the lies out there, going back to the first segment earlier on to understand the wiles of the devil. We stay close to the sacraments because we get with the grace that we get, okay, with without which we can't decipher these things. I don't think we can. We have reason, we have intelligence. I obviously though that our reason and our intelligence have limits. I think for our eyes, Jesus said, if you have eyes to see, then see. But in order for those eyes to be wide freaking open, okay, so that we could see the lies, as Joe said, whether they're coming from someone who we might tend to agree with or someone we might not, we see the truth and are able to stay in that middle lane and say, I'm going to do what the church tells me to do. And the grace gives me the knowledge that I need to know what's what's right to do. Your comments, Kristen Van Union, I'm curious. Well, it's a good point that the conscience can certainly be warped. God gives us the conscience, and Cardinal Newman, as we've discussed, refers to it as the aboriginal law, so that someone who has no formal study of the law of God or of the, the magisterium would know implicitly what is right and what is lawful versus what is wrong because God placed this conscience in them. However, through sin, through being in denial about what is sin, um, through reading just falsehoods and... and um, warped ideas about the faith and also through seeing hypocrites and how they just say one thing but act the other way and really just sacrifice what the church teaches so that they can live a certain way or whatever our conscience can become really confused and really warped and one way to heal the conscience and to restore it to that power that god gave it is through going to confession and through um just subordinating our sins to the mercy of god and so this i think we've talked about the book frequent confession before um, by Father Benedict Bauer, and this is one of the points that he makes constantly in that book, is that not only absolution of sins, but also this increasing of your intellectual ability to perceive sin, to perceive error, uh, to grow in humility, to grow in virtue, are all things that inform the conscience, and that building the conscience is a lifelong project. So, um, again, to refer to Father Ropaire's advice of avoiding bad books or bad in our day, uh, internet or other influences that would 
I mean, I imagine he would be shocked. Like he's making so oh. many bans on books, but I mean, just look at the internet. But um, just to to make sure that you're not letting these negative anti-Catholic messages into your subconscious to be resurrected at some future time by the devil as uh, a constant battle. Really, it's a, it's a spirit. It's an element of spiritual warfare. But yeah, to get back to what what was your point there? That no, uh, just, I, I just not just having your eyes open that the great yeah. the grace of the sacraments helps us to 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 know or, or or to be able to let's say uh safeguard against uh those things which might be uh might be false or just outright lies um that that are remember the devil dresses up his arguments that sound real good doesn't that mm -hmm. sound real good doesn't mm -hmm. that sound real? well eat that apple doesn't that sound it looks real good doesn't it um but if our eyes are open that was my larger point right. or we need the grace of the sacraments so that our eyes are wide open so they so can that be our open. reason and intelligence and our ability to, to to see through this fog of this this spiritual war that we're in okay um we have our eyes wide open we could see it all and we could trust that because that comes from grace. That was my larger right. point. No, but I, I want to illustrate this a little more just so people are clear. Like, like I'll give you, for instance, from the left to the right. In confession recently, a priest told me, I was we were talking about being open to life. He said, well, the church kind of, that doesn't mean you could have, you know, 75,000 kids. The church changed its teaching on this. A priest said this to me in confession. I didn't want to argue with him. The humani vitae is pretty clear, and you either accept it or you don't, but it's a church teaching. I accept it, and many people have a problem with Paul VI. I take that as bedrock doctrine, and that priest, if you ask me, is twisting that, and I didn't want to argue with him, but I think he's wrong. On the flip side, we were attacked, Joe and I, about natural family planning. Um, natural family planning, John Paul II, it can't be used as a contraception, but it is fully licit to space out your children using natural family planning. It's taught by every single diocese in the Catholic Church. And there are people who say that's not listed. I'll yeah, say, we were attacked. We were attacked for that. And, and, like, like, we, and we, again, I would say, no, sir, that is not correct. You can't use it as a contraception meaning you can't perpetually use natural family planning, but you can space out your children through NFP. The church teaches that, and John Paul II is a saint with two miracles behind his name. So this is what I mean. Like, you hear these voices sometimes, and you're kind of just like, this is in the church. And like, like, and and that's bad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's where the bishop has to step up. And I'm surely I didn't go to the Gregorian, but I just wanted to illustrate that it's out there. You just got to look on social media. Kristen, I love your comments on that. Yeah, well, it's a really chaotic time, right? Where you're you're hearing opposite opinions, and they can't both be correct. So That's which right. one is the church is teaching? Um, and I think historically, this has been really the role of the pope. And unfortunately, materially, we do not we do not have that existing right now. Where if there were, if on natural family planning, for example, if there were warring clerics who had different theological opinions, then it would be settled. It would be brought to the ecclesial court up the line and ultimately if it required that settled by the roman pontiff whose rule would be absolute uh because the church is a monarchy not a democracy Absolutely. which <laughs> i think i think a lot of americans maybe fall into this because we tend to think of the church as a democracy where oh well if only we could get the good guys elected then that would be fine and it's not it doesn't work that way doctrine is not up for a vote um 
I, I phrase it a different God. way. It's a benevolent dictatorship. Yeah. That's how I call right. it. The church right. is when a benevolent the dictatorship because yeah, really. God is <laughs> the ultimate authority. That's how I have always understood it. Yeah, Kristen, Go ahead, go ahead. Finish when you read thought, the please. documents of Vatican I, especially, and um, just think back to the tradition of the papal tiara up until Paul VI relinquished it, that literally it was the social kingship of Christ on earth. Christian Van Newton, uh, let me, uh, we, we have a couple minutes left, okay? And I think it's always appropriate when we can uh, to, to uh, well, you'll know where I'm going with this. Who is the woman clothed with the sun and why is she important? <laughs> yes, always good to bring it back to Our Lady at the end of every episode because it's such a hopeful note to end on, which is that the, the woman clothed with the sun is understood to be Mary who comes and literally defeats Satan and once and for all, the end of the world. And um, <clears throat> no longer will he have any sort of ability to seduce souls away because at the end of the world, Every soul has chosen its destination, its final destination of either heaven or hell. Purgatory will be gone. She will bring every soul up from purgatory at that time. Um, and uh, is, this is, of course, echoed in many apparitions where Our Lady has appeared to both warn us of the future, but also to reassure us, as she says, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. And so that's another one of those classic um, examples, as we know, of we know who wins in the end. And this, uh, the, the battle in the meantime is to get as many souls to accept God's grace and to accept the influence of Our Lady to save their own souls, rather than to go and to fall for the devil's lies, because the ultimate battle has been waged already at the cross, and Jesus won that battle through his passion, death, and resurrection. And now it's just a matter of making sure that we accept that and hold on to that and allow him to save us, rather than petulantly uh, choosing the devil. So there is still... There's this duality because it is a very horrifying prospect and there are so many souls at stake, which our Lord himself in the agony of the garden really despaired over. Um, but also we are reassured that there is no chance at all that the powers of God will lose this battle, that they will 100% win. It's just a matter of time. We just have to make sure we're on the right side of that one. Um, yes. <laughs> and, that, and that's and that's a job of the church. And that's our job is to make sure we're on the winning team. That's just the bottom line. We know who wins. Let's make sure we're on his team. Chris Van Newton, as always, thanks for joining us. The two books that we are recommending, uh, Christ and the Powers of Darkness, that is a reprint from Sophie, both are reprints from Sophia Press. That's by Father J. Godfrey Ropair. Um, And the other is St. John and the Apocalypse. That's a reprint, uh, Father C. C. Martindale, Sophia Institute. Go on there. Please support our, ca our Catholic publishers. Chris Van Newton, thanks again. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thanks for having me. God bless. Absolutely. God bless you. And thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>